Hello and welcome. My name is Father William Maestri, and this is another edition of Gabriel's Trumpet for Thursday of the fifth week of Easter, May the 11th. Our reading this morning is a continuation of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, verses 7 through 21. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, verses 7 through 21. Several years ago, uh, one of the uh, seminarians in the classes that I was teaching at the seminary, uh, before he entered the seminary, he was a uh, drill instructor, a DI, for the United States Marine Corps at uh, Paris Island. And uh, he said something to me very interesting, which is very appropriate for our reading this morning. Uh, I was talking to him about his experience as a uh, drill instructor and uh, how difficult uh, that basic training is to be a United States Marine. And uh, obviously, he had a great deal of uh, skill in leadership and how to mold uh, young recruits into the Marine Corps and all that that demands. And it is incredibly demanding. Uh, basic training in the United States Marine Corps, especially at Paris Island. And uh, I asked him, I said, what, uh, what do you find is a very important element for a good drill instructor? And he said, well, it's this. There's a fine line between discipline and when you begin to affect morale. And I asked him to explain that. And he said, well, when a recruit comes, they are leaving a formal way of life, the life of a civilian. Pretty much go where they want. They have a great deal of free time and a great deal of self-determination as to what they're going to do, when they're going to do it, how they're going to do it, and so on and so forth. And uh, it's all part of civilian life. But when they enter into the world of the Marine Corps, and they, their goal is to graduate and be a Marine, and all that that entails, there's a great deal of leaving all that behind, and that's a big adjustment. And so discipline is required. You have to learn a whole new routine, a whole new language, a whole new protocol. Uh, and you have to learn a great deal of information uh, so that you can, in fact, uh, graduate from basic training and go on to your initial assignment. But discipline uh, is one thing. But there can come a point where your discipline is so rigid and severe that you begin to affect morale. And when you do that, he said, you affect the uh, spirit of, the, uh, of your unit. And they will, the phrase he used, they will lay down on you. That is, they simply will refuse uh, to do what you are asking of them. Or if they are forced to do it, they will do it in a very, very uh, dispirited and uh, a very poor or substandard way of performing. 
And eventually, they're not going to replace the uh, Marine unit or the recruit unit. They're going to replace you because you have crossed that line between discipline and morale. And that's true in many aspects of life. It's true of a coach, a coach who is too severe, too rigid, too set in their ways. Uh, They begin to affect the morale of a team, and the team will lay down on the coach. Uh, They'll simply refuse to perform, or they certainly won't perform at their best. They will not want to. They don't get any enjoyment or pleasure out of playing the sport or the activity. It's true of children at play. If everything is too programmed and too rigid, too confined, uh, the children will will give up the activity. Uh, A child is learning to play the piano. The child is learning just a basic game. Uh, They're not playing anymore. It becomes work. And it becomes servile work. And they turn away from that. There has to be a certain degree of flexibility, a certain degree of understanding of the people that you have been privileged uh, to mold and to lead. Because that's what you're doing. You're looking to mold, to form, so that they can perform fully to their talent and ability. Uh, granted, you don't, uh, you don't let them slack up. You don't let them get lazy and go back to civilian ways or back to undisciplined ways. But that's a fine line, and that's a, that's a very important quality. The reason for all of that is that there's a great controversy in the early church with the Acts of the Apostles in which there are many of the Jews who have come over and following Christ and has more and more Gentiles, those who are not Jewish, come into the church. Because remember, St. Paul and the apostles are now reaching out at God's command to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So you have these new people coming in, these new converts, or people who are looking at coming and following Christ. They're coming in. They're novices. And there are a lot of the Jews who are demanding that they observe the Mosaic law now fully and completely. And the Gentiles are rejecting this. They're grumbling against this. Uh, You can imagine... uh, the men who are coming in are not all that keen about circumcision, uh, to say the least. And a whole bunch of other things that are taking place. And so there's a big division that's developing there. And um, they, the church has to address that. They have to address that. And um, Peter um, takes the floor. And he says that you know, brothers, uh, well enough from the early days, God selected from your number to be the one from whose lips the Gentiles would hear the message of the gospel and believe. 
God who reads the hearts of men, showed his approval by granting the Holy Spirit to them, to the Gentiles, as he did to us. He made no distinction between them and us, but purified their hearts by means of faith alone. Why then do you put God to the test by trying to place on the shoulders of these converts a yoke which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear? Notice that. We didn't obey them fully. Go read your scriptures time and again. God has to send the prophets. God sends a punishment, a chastisement for our disobedience. And you want them to obey what our ancestors didn't and we don't do. Why are you doing that? It's, it's as if you're trying to punish them for coming over. And so they, they are rejecting that. Again, you are placing on them a yoke, a big heavy collar, which neither we nor our fathers were able to bear a burden. And uh, James, James will be the one to succeed Peter uh, as the leader of the Jerusalem community after Peter's death. It says, brothers, listen to me. Uh, Simeon uh, has told you how God first concerned himself with taking from among the Gentiles a people to bear his name. The words of the prophets agree with this. And therefore, God has called the Gentiles, the Gentiles, to accept the gospel, to be welcomed into the community, and you are driving them away. In other words, instead of welcoming, you are putting a distance. You are demanding of them heavy burdens. That's what a yoke is. A yoke is a big heavy collar put on a beast of burden, like an oxen. Remember, Jesus said, take upon me and learn from me, for my yoke is easy, my burden light. And you are putting on a heavy, heavy burden on others. And that's a very good lesson for us, isn't it? When we have others who are struggling, others who are looking to come into the church, be part fully in the body of Christ, uh, we have to also... Uh, develop and be patient and understanding with people. We're asking them to enter into a whole new way of life. Look how patient God is with us. My goodness, are we asking people to do more than we do as Christians? Are we demanding of them that which we do not lift? Do we carry our cross and lift our burdens and unite them with Christ? to the extent that we're demanding of others, that's hypocrisy. And it's also uh, driving people away. Again, no one is saying that we dilute the gospel, that we water it down or dumb it down, as we say today. No. But we have to understand, we have to understand that we're asking people to come in, to come in, to the church. They've already been touched by God's grace. They're searching. They're looking. 
And we don't want to add burdens that drives them away, that makes them distant. We want to be a welcoming because Jesus Christ came for the gospel, and the gospel is for all men and women, all people, all nations, all peoples. So let us today be understanding and kind, supportive, always speak the truth, but always speak the truth in love and understanding, and not simply use the truth as a weapon. Truth is not a weapon. The truth is that which frees us to enter into the divine love and mercy of God. So let us not cross that line between discipline and morale, between welcoming and driving away. Let us always be mindful that in our own sinfulness, in our own disobedience, the Lord welcomed us and welcomes us with his great love and mercy. Can we do any less for others? God bless you. Hello and welcome. My name is Father William Maestri, and this is another edition of Gabriel's Trumpet for Friday of the fifth week of Easter, May the 12th. Our reading this morning comes to us by way of the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. John 15, 12 through 17. And in this particular passage, uh, a number of uh, very themes common to the Gospel of St. John uh, reappear, but they do so in the context of Last Supper. Uh, they do in context of uh, Holy Thursday and uh, form part of Jesus' uh, farewell address to the apostles because he's about to enter into his passion and uh, his death and ultimately the resurrection. And so Jesus gathers the disciples together and he says, and he's really speaking to us as well, and he says, uh, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And the question, of course, arises, well, how did Jesus love them? And Jesus says, there is no greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. In other words, at the heart of Christian love is that of self-donation, that of self-sacrifice. It's not about giving, uh, taking. It's not about obtaining and controlling and manipulating. It's not about winning and having. It is about the gift of oneself, which is the greatest gift that we can give. We can give things, sometimes large, great, uh, big things. But there's nothing to compare with the gift of ourself. And it is, uh, there is no greater love and to lay down one's life. Now, now, obviously, it doesn't mean only going to the cross, going to be martyred for someone, or taking a bullet for someone, as we say. 
it is much less dramatic, isn't it? It is the everyday dying to ourself. That's at the heart, for example, of marriage. Uh, we can't have two people married who are living separate lives. I have my stuff, you have yours. I have my life, you have yours. You have your interest, I have mine. You have your side of the house, I have mine. That's a strange marriage. We don't have a friendship. If all we do is talk maybe once, twice a year at the most, maybe once every couple of years and so on, and say, oh, that's my best friend. Well, why didn't you speak or communicate more frequently? Well, I didn't get around to it. We would think that's a rather strange friendship. But it is the daily interaction, especially within our own house, uh, within those whom we interact daily, perhaps even in the office or the school, the neighborhood. We lay down our life by dying to our own will in doing the will of another, to help another, in terms of goodness. Now, we're not talking, of course, about doing the will of another if it leads to sin. We're not talking about that. And that, that's absurd. We're talking about laying down one's life as laying aside one's own interest for the time being. Uh, you may be outside doing something that you like, a hobby, fooling with the flowers, whatever, and someone comes along and says, oh, can you give me a ride? i got to go to the doctor. And you really love what you're doing, and you say, sure, come on, get in the car. All, off we go. That's dying to ourselves. And blessed are we who can learn that lesson. Uh, our marriages will be better and our friends will be, and our friendships will be stronger. And Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. I no longer speak of you as slaves, for a slave doesn't know anything about what his master is doing. Instead, I call you friends, for I have made known to you all that I heard from my father. What, what a tremendous thing to be called a friend of God. Friend of God. And that's exactly what we are. We, we are, in our humanity and in Jesus' humanity, we are friends of God. And God's friendship and love are shown in the person of Jesus Christ. It's not a love at a distance. It's not a love that we talk about. It's not a love... Uh, that doesn't get involved. It's an incarnate love. It's a love, God's love for us took on our very being, our humanity, in order to heal it and redeem it. That's how much God loves us. Not that we deserved it, not that we merited it, but because we needed it. And God knows each and every one of us by name, and God calls us by name. So intimate does God know us. And Jesus said, I have made known to you all that I heard from my Father. That, that intimacy of friends sharing truth, sharing important conversation, that, that image there that friends share with each other, 
Jesus says, it was not you who chose me, but I who chose you to go forth and bear fruit. And your fruit must endure. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Holy Spirit, kindness, gentleness, meekness, forbearance, patience. All of those, all of those are fruits of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in us brings forth those those uh, those blessings, those fruits of the Holy Spirit, the harvest of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives and blesses others if we truly open our heart to the love of the Father and the Son and with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it brings forth those fruits of peace, of understanding, of kindness, of mercy, and at the end, Jesus says, the command I give you is this, that you love one another. Jesus opened with love and he closes with love because it is the love that Jesus reveals on the cross that is indeed at the center of the Christian life. Jesus says, the love you have for one another is that by which all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You have genuine desire for the good of the other because it is good for them, not because of anything we're getting out of it, but because it's good for them. We sacrifice. We give of our time, our talent, sometimes our treasure for those who are having difficult times. But in all those things, we die to ourselves: what I want, when I want, how I want. And we place the needs of the other. I didn't say the greeds or the wants and all that. But we place the needs of the other above our own. It is that love that God has for us. And God invites us to share with others. That's the distinguishing mark of our life. That's, that's at the very heart of God. God is love. And it must be at the very center of our own life as we follow Christ. So life is, and love is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the fulfillment of what it means to be truly human, truly a, a disciple of Christ, and truly called into the very presence of God. May we keep God's commandment in Christ to love one another as he loved us. God bless you. Hello and welcome. My name is Father William Astry, and this is another edition of Gabriel's Trumpet for Saturday of the fifth week of the year, May 13th, the fifth week of Easter. And our reading this morning is a continuation of the Gospel of St. John, chapter 15, verses 18 through 21. John 15, verses 18 through 21. And in this particular reading, it reminds us that um, very often as Christians, we really can't win. If by winning we mean trying to uh, win in terms of worldly expectations and worldly standards. 
Jesus very often could not win because no matter what he did, the Pharisees, the religious establishment, the authorities, political and religious, would always find fault, would always find something wrong. If Jesus performed one of his miracles or revealed a sign in the Gospel of John, it was attributed that Jesus was a follower of Satan, or he was Satan himself. If he didn't, uh, or if he left, it was, well, he didn't care, or he really didn't have the power. And in the Christian life, we often hear it said, one of two extremes. Number one, Christians are always gloom and doom, always talking about sin and death and punishment, always talking about the cross. On the other end, we're unrealistic. We're always talking about the resurrection, God's glory, grace, mercy. So, so no matter what, what particular approach the Christian takes towards life, uh, there are those who will always find fault. And I think that it's not about the question of winning and about being successful. It's about being faithful. It's about not judging ourselves and others by worldly standards. For in the standards of the world which change rapidly from day to day, moment to moment, but God's word is everlasting. The way God judges is the true and right judgment because God alone reads our hearts, our minds. God knows what's in our depth. Very often we don't, but only God does. And in our reading this morning, Jesus tells the disciples, he says, if you find that the world hates you, know that it has hated me before you. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. The reason it hates you is that you do not belong to the world. You do not belong to the world. The Christian is always out of step with the world because the world's standards, the world is that particular force or presence that is given over to Satan. It's the, it's the standard of worldly accomplishment, success, often driven by greed and profit, often driven by the ethic of the sharper elbow, nudge your way to the front, step on whoever you have to step on to get higher in terms of status and glory and power, and all of those fading, passing things. Great umpires no longer exist. Wealth does not prevent death. Uh, sickness laughs at our notion of well-being. All of those things remind us that the glory of the world passes away. It's fleeting. It's temporal. But God's love and God's word is eternal. And that's why we're meant for eternal glory. And so the world hates us. 
It's not that we walk around with doom and gloom, just the opposite. We can live strongly in the world, confident in our trust and faith that God's word is everlasting. And the word that became flesh, Jesus Christ, suffered and died, returned to the Father to prepare a place for us. Each and every one of us, there is a place prepared. And there is a welcoming that is waiting for each of us when heaven will rejoice at our arrival. But in the meantime, while we're here on earth in our pilgrimage, we experience the opposition, the temptations, the winds, the waves, and the currents that swirl within us and around us, all trying to deter us from our true and lasting home for taking occupancy of that place that Jesus has reserved for us. And Jesus goes on and he tells them, he says, but I have chosen you out of the world. Remember I told you, no slave is greater than his master. If they have persecuted you, they will persecute uh, me. They will respect your word as much as they have respected mine. And this they will do because of my name, because of Jesus. And when we profess the name of Jesus, the anger and the rage, the fury of the evil one comes against us and tries again to deter us from taking occupancy in that place that Jesus has prepared for each of us. Jesus says, for they, the world, know nothing of him, the Father, who sent me. They know nothing of him. They know nothing. They have no experience of that. We, we hold earthen vessels that we are, fragile, temporal, limited, sinful, yet loved by God. That's the foundation. That can never be shaken unless we give it up unless we hand it over. So let us today not be deterred by the evaluation of the world, whether we are successful, whether we're failures, whether we rise to the heights or just swim in what the world considers down at the bottom or mediocre. It is in being faithful that we will shine as bright as the stars. We will live in that place prepared for us by the death and resurrection of Christ. It is a place that has the welcome sign out. Welcome, come. Come and take possession of the place prepared for you by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let us today, in the face of whatever may come our way, let us always be grounded in that foundation of the love of God made visible in his son, Jesus Christ. God bless you.